Monday, April 29th, 2019. We're going to continue with our Ezra show. Remember last week, we started in chapter 5, and we didn't quite finish it. There was so much there. And in chapter 5 last week, we talked about the signs, the coming signs. And there were several of them. There was great terror on the earth. Truth shall be hidden. The earth shall be barren of faith and unrighteousness. Shall be increased like nothing else seen before, right? And we we talked about how, I mean, just like reading today's news and looking at what's going on around us, how so much of this has absolutely come to fruition in unrighteousness and iniquity and lack of faith, hidden truth, terror, right? And we talked about Babylon and it being desolate. And we talked about the sun suddenly shining forth at night and the moon during the day. Talked about the the mysterious saying of blood shall drip from wood and the stone shall utter its voice. We, we broke all that down through scripture. I give you my opinion on that. And the troubled, you know, population here on earth, just people just being troubled and perplexed and the stars falling from heaven. And, um, you know, the sign of the son of man, the son of, of Christ coming at the very end to, to rule, to set up his kingdom finally here on earth and people you know, not recognizing him. Don't know who he is. And um, chaos, confusion, you know, over people. And we talk about fire, wild beasts. And then the interesting one, uh, menstruous women shall give, uh, will bring forth monsters Talked about that modern day Nephilim, these uh, serpent seed hybrid, the people that are all around us now. And how friends, people would hate one another. Wisdom, you wouldn't be able to find wisdom. There'd be unrestraint everywhere. No one could prosper. And we left off with that. Uh, and we finished chapter. I mean, I'm sorry, up to verse 14 in chapter 5 and left off with, with those signs. And there was so much to it and so many scriptures and scriptural references. So now we're going to finish the chapter and uh, then we'll start 6, Lord willing, next week. But we'll finish chapter 15 here. And uh, I'm sorry, chapter 5, excuse me, verse and starting with verse 15. Because where we left off is that the angel had told Ezra that these are the signs which he was permitted to tell him. And then he, he left Ezra with this. If he prayed again and weeped and you know fasted for seven days, he would hear even greater things. So that's what we have to look forward to in chapter six and beyond. You know, other end time signs. And then trying to break those down and figure them out scripturally, and uh, see, what, see what they may mean to us. 
We do know they mean something, um, but we do see through this 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 mirror, this this glass, uh, very hazy. It's very dark, you know. So we we leave Ezra waking up in his body. He says his body shuddered violently, and his soul was so troubled that it fainted. So he it's it's probably a Hebrew idiom for like almost dying. You know, I mean, this was like heavy heavy stuff. So let's start with verse 15 and go through the rest of the chapter. And um, we're going to talk a lot about, well, not only the end time, because in context it's about the end times, but it's also about the, a, a, a cosmology, an ancient Jewish cosmology. I call it a biblical cosmology that you'll see here. There's no denying what the ancient Jews, the ancient writers believed about the earth, the sun, and the moon, and the stars, and how things work within them. Contrary to what we've been taught today, and a lot of the falsehood and false lies and doctrine, and actually anti-Word of God teaching that we receive, both in secular school and in our churches, unfortunately. That's, that's a fact. And so I think now in these last days, the Holy Spirit's really breaking down a lot of this stuff. And many people are seeing through these things, seeing through the walls and seeing the truth. So let's begin. Verse 15 says, but the angel who had come and talked with me held me and strengthened me. And he set me on my feet. Now on the second night, Fal Tiel, a chief of the people, came to me and said, where have you been and why is your face sad? Or do you not know that Israel has been entrusted to you in the land of their exile? Rise therefore and eat some bread so that you may not forsake us like a shepherd who leaves his flock in the power of cruel Wolves. Then I said to him, Depart from me and do not come near me for seven days. Then you may come to me. He heard what I said and left me. So I fasted seven days, mourning and weeping, as Uriel the angel had commanded me. And after seven days, the thoughts of my heart were very grievous to me again. Then my soul recovered the spirit of understanding and I began once more to speak words in the presence of the Most High. Verse 23. And I said, O sovereign Lord, from every forest of the earth and from all its trees thou hast chosen one vine. And from all the lands of the world, thou hast chosen for thyself one region. And from all the flowers of the world, thou hast chosen for thyself one lily. And from all the depths of the sea, thou hast filled for thyself one river. And from all the cities that have been built, thou hast consecrated Zion for thyself. And from all the birds that have been created, thou hast named for thyself one dove. 
and from all the flocks that have been made, made thou hast provided for thyself one sheep. And from all the multitude of peoples, thou hast gotten for thyself one people. And to this people, whom thou hast loved, thou hast given the law which is approved by all. And now, O Lord, why hast thou given over the one to the many, and dishonored the one root beyond the others, and scattered your only one among the many. And those who opposed thy promises have trodden down those who believed thy covenants. If thou do really hate thy people, they should be punished at thy own hands. When I had spoken these words, the angel who had come to me on a previous night was sent to me. And he said to me, listen to me, and I will instruct you. Pay attention to me, and I will tell you more. And I said, speak, my Lord. And he said to me, are you greatly disturbed in mind over Israel? Or do you love him more than his maker does? And I said, no, my Lord, but because of my grief, I have spoken. For every hour I suffer agony, agonies of heart. While I strive to understand the way of the Most High and to search out part of his judgment. And he said to me, you cannot. And I said, why not, my Lord? Why then was I born? Or why did not my mother's womb become my grave? That I might not see the travail of Jacob and the exhaustion of Israel. Okay, so let me stop right there before we start verse 36. I think you get the gist of it. Ezra had been fasting for seven days and praying and weeping, seeking God, seeking answers. And previously he was giving a lot of answers from the angel Uriel, sent from God to answer his questions about the end times, the end of days. And so now he does the same thing. He fasts, he weeps, he prays, he seeks God. And now his question is, you know, why is Israel going through what they're going through? They're, they're in exile. They're in Babylon. They've been captured. The temple has been destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar in 586 B.C. The Jews at this time were taken to Babylon in waves, the first wave being Daniel and his companions, and Ezra, the priest. And so now they're in a horrible place of total satanic, you know, Babylonian, you know, magical, you know, witchcraft place that goes against everything uh, that they had believed in and lived for under the law of Yahweh. And so he's asking, you know, God, if you chose Israel as your one branch, your one root, your one flower, your one sheep among uh, many in a flock, your one people, you chose Israel, you chose to put your name on Zion, one place. Why, why are you allowing these, these 
very wicked others who don't believe in you, who despise your law. Why are you allowing them to punish us? Why don't you punish us? So he's questioning God's you know, judgment. And it's, it's a good thing we have this ancient book of, of Ezra because he's answering, or he's asking a lot of questions that are answered that we ourselves uh, would be asking or else you know, we'd be wondering, not only in our personal lives, but in you know, the church as a whole or Christian, real Christianity, biblical Christianity as a whole, as, as being down here in this spiritual Babylon, in this prison planet that we're on, this probation, this trial, this testing, this great tribulation that we're in right now, and we have to find our way out. We have to find that narrow gate. And we have to stay on that narrow path that Yahweh has provided for us. And so we can ask the same question. You know, if we're chosen, if Christ came down and paid the price for our penalty, paid the price for our sin, why are we still, you know, he, you know, here? Why is so much evil around us? Why are we oppressed by those who uh, are more powerful than us or have more money or more fame or more fortune or more influence, you know? So these are the same types of questions that Ezra is, is breaking down for us. And it's fortunate because he, he does get an answer. And it basically, you know, I'll tell you, I'll, you'll move ahead a little bit, but, you know, the answer is that God is sovereign. You know, he's just sovereign and his ways are not our ways. But he's gonna, the angel's gonna break all this down and explain it to Ezra and therefore... You know, when we read this, we're going to have a bigger appreciation for the words of God, the words contained both in this scripture and in our biblical 66 books. And you'll see that sovereignty. You'll see also the cosmology of God and the, and the, the greatness and how we in our feeble flesh suits that we're in just simply can't comprehend uh, something so, so huge so big and so spiritual. So let us begin with, let us begin with, let's see. Ezra says, uh, you know, why did not my mother's womb become my grave to the angel that I might not see the travail of Jacob and the exhaustion of the people of Israel? So verse 36, it reads, he said to me, count up for me those who have not yet come and gather for me the scattered raindrops and make the withered flowers bloom again for me. Open for me the closed chambers and bring forth for me the winds shut up in them. Or show me the picture of a voice and then I will explain to you the travail that you ask to understand. And I said, O sovereign Lord, who is able to know these things except he whose dwelling is not with men? So let's stop there. So the, the God is speaking to Ezra through Uriel. The messenger through, is through Uriel the angel. But God is talking to Ezra saying, um, can you count all those people who have not been born yet on the earth? Well, no. Uh, can you gather all the scattered raindrops? Can you, can you make them? Can you gather it? No. Um, can you make these withered flowers bloom again? Are we withered? No. Uh, can you open for me the closed chambers and bring forth 
for me, the winds shut up in them. Uh, no. Uh, can you show me the picture of a voice? Don't you love that? Can you show me the picture of a voice? I, no, I can't tell you what that looks like. It goes, and then I, and then if you can do these things, I'll explain to you what, what you, you seek to understand. In other words, you're not going to be able to understand these things. And Ezra says, well, yeah, who's able to know these things except for, for a, a being, a deity that doesn't dwell here on this temporary prison planet. That's way above it. So let's go and look at some of this cosmology here. I mean, we know about raindrops, right? We know about those, and we know about the people yet to come on Earth, and we know about withered flowers. Um, but do we know about verse 37 that says, Open for me the closed chambers and bring forth for me the winds shut up in them. Do we know about that? We don't. If you know anything about Enoch, if you've ever read the book of Enoch or heard uh, Enoch being read, there's big portions of it that are like cosmological. And the book of Enoch talks about chambers in the firmament or in the heavens where, where hail is stored or snow is stored, winds are stored, and that upon the direction of God, the winds or the hail or the snow or the rain the storms, the lightning, they come out of these portals to deal with earth, however God sees fit to do with that. It's not anything we've been taught in our modern day science. Um, I, in fact, I don't even know what science says what brings wind about. I'm, I don't even know. I can't even remember in school what would be the scientific explanation for wind, you know, on, 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 the, on the land, on the earth, on the land. But you have to remember, um, when you're talking about ancient Jewish cosmology, you're not talking about a round globe spinning out in space that is heliocentric, that the sun is rotating around. You're talking about a flattish type of land of earth that's, that's more, more flattish, more like um, concave. Um, with foundations that God has set up a foundation to him, uh, whereas the sun and the moon, the stars rotate um, above in the above the firmament, uh, and the earth is it's geocentric. The earth is the center, and God sits above the firmament, looking down on his creation. It's a whole different model. Okay, it's a whole a whole different model that that shows you God's power, his his sovereignty, and his concern for his creation. Whereas the other one doesn't show that. The other one shows this endless space and you know uh, big bangs and evolution and anything that takes you away from the Creator. So he says, open for me the closed chambers and bring forth for me the winds shut up in them. So uh, let's look at that. Let's look at the winds in the chambers and see biblically if we can find that concept in our 66 books of the Bible. Okay, Because if we could do that, then I can show you that this ancient cosmology, the way the ancient Jews viewed the world and the heavens is far different than what we've been taught. 
So for me, I see God's word, biblical truth, ancient truth as truth because it points to to God, the creator. Uh, And I look at what we've learned in our modern day as a lie. And the lie is to point you away from the creator. So let's look at the closed chamber and the winds that are shut up in them. In other words, there are portals in the firmament or around the firmament in the heavens that God dictates when these winds shall be released upon the earth. Um, so let's go to Jeremiah forty nine thirty six, And let's see if we can find the concept here. And it says, And upon Elam will I bring the four winds, four winds from the four quarters of heaven. Okay, four quarters of heaven, four winds, makes you think of the earth not as a round ball, but a flattish type of land. And at its four corners, or its quarters, is these four winds. We learn in fourth Ezra here, that they're closed chambers that the winds are shut up in. So in Jeremiah, God says, and upon Elam will I bring the four winds from the four quarters of heaven and will scatter them towards all those winds. And there shall be no nation whether the outcast of Elam shall not come. So God is saying, I'm going to scatter them towards all those four winds. In other words, just like the four winds of heaven, I'm going to scatter this nation. Now, in the past, we've read these these scriptures, and you just think it's poetic language, or that's just the way you know Old Testament writers wrote, so, you know. But it's it's not poetic language; it's truthful language. This is the way things actually do work. Um, this is true science. Okay, this is the real science. It's not occult magic or satanic, um, you know, hoodoo voodoo. This is the real thing. This is how this is how things really work. Ezekiel thirty-seven nine reads: Then said he unto me, Prophesy unto the wind, prophesy, son of man, and say to the wind, Thus saith the Lord God: Come from the four winds. O breath, and breathe upon these slain that they may live. The wind in Hebrew is like ruach. It's, it's breath. It's wind. So here in Ezekiel, uh, God's telling um, Ezekiel to prophesy to the wind and bring them forth, the four winds. Where do they come from? They're going to come from the closed chambers that surround the land. <clears throat> Let's go to Daniel 7.2. And Daniel spake and said, he's talking about Nebuchadnezzar here, uh, about the vision about the big statue and the coming um, empires. And Daniel spake and said, I saw in my vision by night and behold, the four winds of the heaven strove upon the great sea. 
Okay, so already we're getting a pattern here over and over again in the Old Testament so far. We're getting these four winds that are used to blow upon, this, in this case, the sea and the, and the land over and over again that we've read so many times and just kind of read over. And well, four, four, you know, but there are four winds. There's four corners here. This is a very literal thing. It's not some, you know, analogy or some spiritualized interpretation. This is very literal. This is what God made. This is the way it works. Zechariah 2.6 says, Ho, ho, come forth and flee from the land of the north, saith the Lord. For I have spread you abroad as the four winds of the heaven, saith the Lord. There it is again. So, okay, that's all Old Testament. And you go, okay, so they, they spoke very poetic in the Old Testament. What about the New Testament? Well, let's, let's go and see what uh, Jesus, the Son of God, made flesh, said. In Matthew eight twenty six and 27, Jesus says, And he saith unto them, Why are ye fearful, O ye of little faith? Then he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. But the men marveled, saying, What manner of man is this, that even the winds and the sea obey him? Now, this scripture now takes on whole new meaning. It takes on a whole deeper significance. When you read the scripture before, you read it as an, just another miracle of Jesus Christ. His disciples are are on this boat. Jesus is asleep. A heavy storm comes up so bad that they, the disciples think they're going to die at sea. The wind and the the waves are just going crazy. I would imagine it's like a hurricane. They're out in sea and they're caught in a hurricane. And they wake Jesus up and they go, wake up, can't you see we're about to die? And then he says, why are you so afraid, ye of little faith? And he rebukes the winds and the sea and they stopped. And this is why they marveled and said, what manner of man is this that the winds of the sea obey him? Because they understood as Jewish men that God had the four winds stationed around this flattish earth and controlled those winds at will and did what he would do to whomever he wanted when he wanted with these winds. And now you have, at this time, they're looking at a rabbi, a man, who tells the wind to stop and the sea to calm, and then they do it. They obey him. So it's huge. It's a lot bigger than what you would just read. It's, it's a big enough miracle just to read and say, hey, he, he, he rebuked the winds and they stopped. But to understand that for them, they understood that these winds were part of, they were inside these closed chambers and nobody, just like the angel Uriel told Ezra, open for me the closed chambers and bring forth for me the wind shut up in them. And Ezra says, 
who's able to do these things? Only only a God whose dwelling is not with men could do these things. So it was known that only God could control these winds shut up in these closed chambers. And now you have what appears to be a human rabbi waking up from his slumber in a boat and doing just that that was impossible. Once again, this scripture, Matthew 8, 26 to 27, shows that he was God. And that's easily overlooked because we're never shown the more the more ancient books, other books like Fourth Ezra, which is a real shame because we we miss we miss so much. Mark thirteen twenty seven says, and then shall he send his angels. This is Jesus talking once again to his disciples, and he's talking about the end of the age to them. He's talking about the end of the age, and he says, and then shall he send his angels, and shall gather together his elect from the four winds. And from the uttermost part of the earth to the uttermost part of heaven. That's not just a saying. This is how it works. This is this is God's this is God's creation. This is this is the real reality. Everything else we've been taught is not real. It's it's a lie. Because it takes away from this. <clears throat> so Christ is saying at the end of the age. The Son of Man comes, he shall send his angels, and he's going to gather his elect from where the four winds. It's not just an idiomatic saying. It's not just a a figure of speech. It's a real thing. It's going to gather the elect from the four winds that surround this flattish type of earth, this land. He's going to gather from the uttermost part of the earth, Right? How can you be at the uttermost part of the earth if it's a round globe? How can you be the uttermost part? If you're in Japan, you're not in the uttermost part of the earth because to you, you're in Japan. But if you're in Kansas, you're not under the uttermost part of the earth because you're in Kansas on a round ball. Everything is, is relative. But if it's flattish, you could be on the uttermost part of the earth. And he's going to gather them from there all the way to the uttermost part of heaven, the four winds. <clears throat> so Jesus, Jesus himself is saying that he believes in this ancient Jewish cosmology. Yet we, even as professed believers in Christ, or even to brag that we believe in the Bible, uh, God said it, we believe it, and that settles it, right? <clears throat> will not believe the truth in the Bible. I mean, the, 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 same, the same people who say, well, we believe in the word of God, we believe in Christ, and Christ made flesh, and the Bible's inerrant. The same people that we say this will then say, <clears throat> I also believe that the Earth is a round spinning ball, and NASA's up in space taking pictures of uh, Mars with a rover, and um, you know all this other nonsense. That we went to the moon and we can conquer space, and we got a Tesla, you know, floating around. They'll believe all this other nonsense that the world is a globe spinning around the sun, and the sun is the center of the universe, whereas God's word says that it's not. 
and we're never taught this, see, because it's my people perish for lack of knowledge. And there were some really uh, clever men in the early church history in the third and fourth century who held councils. And they decided which books you're going to read and which books you're not, which books are inspired and which ones. I don't know how men in flesh suits could determine what's inspired of the Holy Spirit and what's not. But they did, and they determined that for you. And that's why you have 66 books and not all of them. And that's why there's so much confusion in the scriptures because we're not getting the full counsel of God because men that were inspired by Satan blocked these things from us. Christ himself says, I'm going to gather my elect from the four winds. He says that himself. Let's look at one more. Revelation 7, 1 through 2 says, And after these things, I saw four angels standing on the corners of the earth. You get it? I saw four angels. One, two, three, four. And where were they at? They were standing. Where were they standing? On the globe? Were they standing on a spinning ball that goes around the sun? The four angels were standing on four corners of the earth. This is in Revelation 7, 1 through 2. Also, our great men of you know the Council of Nicaea and other councils, the book of Revelation was one of the books that they really debated putting in the canon. It was almost ruled out. (laughs) So that tells you how much they knew, yet they were so confident to say, this is inspired of the Holy Spirit, this is not, and they argued and argued, and revelation was almost excluded. Probably for scriptures like this in here. And someone figured out, oh, you know, They'll never figure it out because they don't have the rest of the stuff. So there's four angels standing on four corners of the earth. And you know what they're doing? They're holding the four winds of the earth. You got four angels. They're not on a ball. They're not on a globe. They're on four corners of the land. And what are they doing? They're holding back those exact four winds of the earth. Those winds are in the closed chambers. <laughs> They're whole, so Ezra says this, you know, hundreds of years before this, this, these books are written. It's the way they knew the earth. They, they knew how the creator God had created it. How they viewed it. They understood this. They understood these things. It shows the wisdom of God. It shows his greatness. It shows his concern that he's looking down on his creation. Everything else is created for his creation. The sun was created for the earth. It was created for timekeeping. Not for us to spin around it like it's the center of our universe. It's not. We're not just randomly put here. 
didn't just evolve from amoebas from the ocean and then become fish and then become birds and then monkeys and then now us. It, it's not some random big bang gas bubble in space. It's not some non-existent black hole. There's purpose here. It's God's creation. And we have to pass this tribulation, this great tribulation. We have to come out of it and overcome it because we're not of this place. We're not of this. We're not of this prison planet that Satan has created out of God's creation because of rebellion. We're not supposed to be here. Not in this dimension. Not trapped in these tents, these flesh suits. But you're not going to see that if you don't understand really the words of God, the true words of God. So let me continue with Revelation 7, 1 through 2. And after these things, I saw four angels standing on four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth, that the wind should not blow on the earth. See? God, God controls those winds. It says that the wind should not blow on the earth, nor on the sea, nor on any tree. And I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God, and he cried with a loud voice to the four angels, the four angels who were holding back the four winds on the four corners of the earth, to whom it was given to hurt the earth and the sea. And it goes on and it says, hey, you know, don't, don't harm anybody till we, uh, we, we seal up those people of God. But clearly in the scripture, you can see that there's four corners on the earth and there's chambers, there's four winds that are being held back. When you read this in light of Matthew 8.26, where Jesus says, he tells the wind to stop, and the men marveled, saying, what manner of man is this that the winds and the sea obey him? You can understand that now, because here you have, in Revelation, four angels of God holding back these winds. This ain't something man can do. This, this ain't something man can control. So when they saw God made flesh that looked like a man walking on this earth do that, that was a huge huge, huge uh, miracle. That was just a huge sign um, that he was, he was of the Lord. Absolutely amazing. So that's, uh, you know, that's just part of that cosmology here. Let me check my time and see where we're at. Um, 39 minutes into it. I think we can, hopefully we can finish this. So anyway, um, I'll, I'll stop with that cosmology there. And it's, you know, and, and so the angel's saying, if you, could, if you could do all this stuff, basically if you could open for me the closed chambers and bring forth for me the winds, shut up in them, then, then I'll, I'll explain to you uh, the question that you're asking me about. But, but in other words, you're not going to understand these things because you're not me. And then, uh, you know, Ezra, O sovereign Lord, who is able to know these things except he who dwell, who, whose dwelling is not with men? In other words, he recognizes the sovereignty of God. 
See, you wouldn't recognize that kind of sovereignty if you just listen to what you've been taught, the lies you've been taught about our cosmology. You don't recognize it because you think you're just randomly here, even if you don't believe in evolution or a big bang theory, Christians still believe in a, in a round global earth spinning around a sun and you don't see the sovereignty of the Lord. Whereas when you see it as a flattish type of land with foundations and there's four corners, there's winds, there's chambers God's in control of all this stuff. We're not just randomly spinning around. Verse 39 says, as for me, I am without wisdom. And how can I speak concerning the things which thou hast asked me? Ezra says, how can can I tell you? How can I open up the winds and the chambers? How can I show you a picture of a voice or gather raindrops? I'm without wisdom. And the angel says to him, just as you cannot do one of the things that were mentioned so you cannot discover my judgment. Remember the angel speaking on behalf of God. He's a messenger of God. So you cannot discover my judgment or the goal of the love that I have promised my people. So this is pretty heavy. You're just not going to understand it. So let's look at Ezra's statement. As for me, I'm without wisdom. Um, Proverbs 1, 20 to 33, it's long. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but it says, Wisdom crieth without. She uttereth her voice in the streets. She cries out in the chief place of concourse, concourse in the openings of the gate. In the city, she uttereth her words, saying, How long, ye simple ones, will you love simplicity? And the scorners delight in their scorning, and fools hate knowledge. Turn you at my reproof. Behold, I will pour out my spirit upon you. I will make known my words unto you. So the wisdom is begging us even today. Come on, people, just wake up. Really, listen to what I'm saying. I know maybe some of you are listening to me right now going, e flatter stuff, I'm getting turned off. Once again, he's getting on this tangent. I mean, really, really listen to what I'm saying. I'm telling you the truth. The ancient Jews saw it this way because that's the way God showed it to them. That's the way he did it. Why is it important? Because without it, you cannot see the sovereignty of God. You rely on man's occult knowledge, his voodoo, his lies, which is then perpetrated by the the dragon himself. The B system. And in Psalms it says, Because wisdom says, Because I have called and you refused, I have stretched out my hand and no man regarded, but you have said at not all my counsel and with none of my proof. You know, you won't listen to me. And because of that, wisdom says, I will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your fear comes, when your fear comes as desolation, and your destruction comes as a whirlwind. Yeah. And then you're going to seek wisdom and she won't be there. That's what it says. Read it for yourself. It's uh, it's heavy. It's uh, Proverbs 1, 20 through 33. But anyway, if you reject wisdom, if you reject God's knowledge, and you mock and scorn it, when you do need it, when calamity comes in your life and you need it, it won't be there for you, is what it says. James 3, 13 through 18 says, Who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? Let him show out a good conversation. His works 
with meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and strife in your hearts, glory not and lie not against the truth. This kind of wisdom, right? Descends not from above, but is earthly, sensual, and devilish. Right? That's of the world. For where envy and strife is, there is confusion in every evil work. And these are all points that tells you what the wisdom, where it's from. But the wisdom that's from above is first pure, it's peaceable, it's gentle, and it's easy to be entreated. It's full of mercy and good fruits without partiality, without hypocrisy. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. Isaiah 40, 28 says, How hast thou not known, hast thou not heard that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth. You get it? I'm going to read that again to you. Isaiah 40, 28 says, How hast thou not known, hast thou not heard that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, if it's a round spinning ball, if it's a globe, there is no ends of the earth, of the land, of the erets, the land. The creator of the ends of the land fadeth not, fainteth not, neither is weary. There is no searching of his understanding. In other words, you're not going to understand God. He's given you all these, these words and all this training and all this doctrine that has been written down for us, but we're not going to understand this stuff if we don't seek him properly. Is it important? Yeah, it's important. Because at that last day, you, you don't want to go, Lord, Lord, didn't I go to church in your name? Didn't I pay tithes in your name? Didn't I support Pastor Bumpus in your name? Didn't I have a podcast? Didn't I have a YouTube channel? Didn't I have a church? Didn't I have a ministry? Blah, blah, blah. Didn't I cast out you know demons? Did I do all this stuff? He's going to say, I don't know who you are. You don't, I never knew you. You did all that stuff in my name, but I didn't, I didn't know who you are. And because of that, you're going to have to depart from them. And you're going to have to go where the wicked go. It's black and white. There's not a gray area for people who just don't understand. There's no excuse for not knowing God's law because God's law is written on our hearts. You have to purposely reject it and believe a lie. So here in Isaiah, he says, he's the creator of the ends of the earth. The Hebrew word is kas, like kasa. It's a termination. It, it's translated like coast or corner, an edge. It's an uttermost part. 22 times in the King James is translated end. Only three times it's translated lowest. Sometimes it's uttermost part, too, or edges, or, or like a shelf, a selvage, like twice. You know, twice it's translated that. It always means the end, the extremity from the whole or from a bung. Anything that's not included in between the extremities. So it has to be flattish. It can't be round. It cannot be a ball. It's a, it is important. I never thought it was. 
I, I didn't. Those who've listened to me for a while, you know, I was very anti. And I hate to use the term flat earth, you know. Uh, I hate that because it has such a bad connotation. But it's God's cosmology, you know. Um, our good friend, the Jacks, that have, you know, the Seed War radio program. Matt Jacks one time says, I got a, I got a, a name for us. We... We're, we're called enclosed creationists. And I really love that. Because we're enclosed in this firmament. We're enclosed in this, this, this beautiful firmament that God has created. And there's water beneath and there's water above. And he created the sun and the moon and all the stars in this firmament to serve us. And they come and go out of the portals on this land. And we're enclosed. And God has his creation enclosed. And he's watching because Satan, in his rebellion, who was watching over this thing, and also the watchers that came down and made it with the daughters of men and, and corrupted DNA and everything, he's watching this as he, as he provides a way out for his creation. In his time, he's looking down not only in judgment but in love. And so we're in this enclosed creation. So when Matt says, when he says we're enclosed creationists, it just, boy, that really resonated with me. Rather than, you know, I'm a flat earther. Because that just sounds, there's a lot of people flat earther that doesn't that don't understand God. Just because you believe in a flat earth don't mean you understand the wisdom of God. This is a biblical truth, not a flat earth truth. Okay. How many of you remember the story contained in the book of Acts, chapter 19, where there were seven sons of Sceva, and they were trying to cast out a demon because they saw the apostle Paul doing great miracles through God. So they tried to do the same thing. So they go up to this guy who's demon-possessed, and they say, we adjure you by this Jesus whom Paul preaches to come out. Yeah. And guess what the evil spirit did? The evil spirit answered them and said to them, hey, I recognize Jesus and I know about Paul, but who are you? And guess what? The man that had the demons jumped on him, beat the heck out of him, subdued him, overpowered him, and they literally fled out of the house naked and wounded. Wow. Guess why? Guess why? Because they did not go to Amazon.com and buy demons in my marriage bed a true story of spiritual warfare the book is not about you being married or single the book is about dealing with demonic forces and you need to know how to do that today more than you ever have for your own life and for those around you the book is a training manual and there's training in there that will teach you how not to be the sons of Sceva and get beat up by demons it will give you the tools for you to be recognized by them because they'll know that you're exercising the authority that is given to you through christ you need to get this book so let me go on so he says, and how can I speak concerning the things that thou hast asked me? He said to me, just as you cannot do one of the things that were mentioned 
so you cannot discover my judgment or the goal of the love that I have promised my people. So you're not going to understand God's love or his goals or anything like that. Well, let me see here. Romans 8.23 says, Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Men just can't know. Romans 10.1.4 says, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. You see, because they're, they're not saved just because they're Israel. It's just because you're a nationality doesn't mean you're saved. Paul knew this. His desire for Israel as a nation is that they might be saved. He says, for I bear them record that they have a zeal of God. They're zealous. They, they do the law. They did sacrifices. They had temp. They did all this stuff. But Paul says, they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. They didn't have the right knowledge. This is, this is that whole, Lord, Lord, didn't we do this and this in your name? Lord, Lord, didn't we build a third temple in your name? Lord, Lord, didn't we sacrifice, you know, lambs and goats in your name? Lord, Lord, I don't know who you are. I know you did these things, but I, I, don't, I never knew you on a personal level. You and I didn't have a relationship. You had a zeal, but not a relationship. Paul says this. He says, but not according to knowledge. And Paul continues, he says, for they being ignorant. He's saying the nation of Israel was ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness. Do you see that today in all of Christianity? Do you see all of this? I mean, people really, really get into this whole Hebrew roots movement. You know, and everything is Yahushua, and they got to pronounce it the correct way. And they're reading the the big thing is that Sefer Bible now, and you know the original Aramaic. You know, and they're, they're wearing prayer shawls and they're growing beards, and and they're just really into the whole Jewish thing, like as if that makes them more righteous in God's sight. And they're doing it with zeal; they're not doing it you know, maliciously, they're doing it with zeal for God, zeal for Christ, but you know what? Not according to knowledge. They don't, they don't have the correct knowledge. They're ignorant of God's true righteousness because God doesn't require any of that from any of us. And these people, and I'm not just picking on the Hebrew roots, but I'm talking to anybody. You might just, you might be in a Hillsong. You might be into, you know, I don't know, you know, the Dove Awards. I, I don't, I have no idea. But anything where you're, you're ignorant of God's true righteousness, but you go about to establish your own righteousness. And Paul says about Israel, that's exactly what they did. And they're ignorant of God's righteousness. They went about to establish their own righteousness through all the laws, right? They have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. What does that mean? That's not good news. And Paul says, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness, to everyone that believeth. Christ ends all of that. You don't have to run around in prayer shawls and do all that stuff. And I'm not just picking on those people, uh, whatever you want, but that is not the way to righteousness. It doesn't, 
It's only through Christ. There's nothing you can do about that. And so God says this thousands of years ago, 2,400 years ago, God says this. Just as you cannot do one of these things that were mentioned, you cannot discover my judgment or the goal of the love that I have promised my people. Because remember, you know, we're looking back on hindsight, you know, from Ezra's day, the captivity, we see what, what happened and we see how uh, God used Cyrus to bring uh, the Jewish people back into the land and we see the second temple period being built and we see Christ coming on scene and we see all of that. You know, Ezra couldn't see that in his day. You know, he couldn't discover God's judgment. Just like we can't see, you know, the future here. All right. Um, and verse 41 says, And I said, Yet behold, O Lord, thou do have charge of those who are alive at the end. But what will those do who were before us, or we, or who those who come after us? So Ezra's saying, you know, you have charge of the people at the end, but how about how about now or the people that came before us? You know, what was the answer to that? And so uh, the angel Uriel says to him, I shall liken my judgment to a circle. Just as for those who are last, there is no slowness. So for those who are first, there is no haste. All right? Just for those who are Last, there's no slowness. So when it comes to the end of the age, it's going to go quick. And for those who were first, it's, it's, it, there's no haste to it. It's like a circle. So let's look at that. Second Peter 3 says, ooh, that's a long one. I shouldn't have put this one up here. Ooh, it's long. But anyway, uh, the second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you in both which I stir up your pure minds a way of remembrance that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets. Okay, think the book I'm reading to you now, Ezra, for Ezra. And of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior, knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers, walking after their own lust and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. Now, what does Ezra just say? It's just like a circle. There's no haste in the beginning. Those who are first, there's no haste. So these people are mocking now. Going, it's 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 you know, where's he coming? It's all the same. Um, for since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. For this, they willingly are ignorant. They're willingly ignorant. They're not just ignorant. They willingly are ignorant of that by the word of God, the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of the water and in the water were by the world that then was being overflowed with water perished. They're willingly ignorant that God did a total destruction, a total reset on the land before. But the heavens and the earth, which are now, since that reset, by the same word, this exact same word, are kept in store. For what? They're reserved unto the fire, the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. They're willingly ignorant of that. He destroyed the earth before, he's going to do it again by fire. You see, and the, those who are first, there's no haste. But at the end of the circle, 
it's rushing to get there. And Peter says, but beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing that one day is with the Lord is a thousand years and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slack concerning this promise as some men count slackness, but is long suffering to us word, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night into which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye be in all holy conversation and godliness, looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for a new heavens and a new earth where dwelleth righteousness. Peter continues, don't be ignorant of such things. Be diligent, right? Um, It's like a circle. Jesus says in Matthew 19.30, but many that are first shall be last and the last shall be first. It's like a circle. Matthew 20.16, so the last shall be first and the first last for many be called but few chosen. So that's what he tells Ezra. Okay. That's exactly what he tells him. His judgment's like a circle. Those who are last, there's no slowness. For those who are first, there is no haste. Then Ezra answers in verse 43 and said, Couldst thou not have created at one time those who have been and those who are and those who will be, that thou mightest show thy judgment the sooner? So Ezra's like, can you just get it over with? You know, why do you got to you know, drag it on? Um, and he replied to me and said, the creation cannot make more haste than the creator, neither can the world hold at one time those who have been created in it. And I said, how hast thou said to thy servant that thou wilt certainly give life at one time to thy creation? In other words, at the resurrection, at the end, every, everybody's going to be alive at one time there that are in Christ, Right. So how can you say that if you're saying it can't hold all this? And so Ezra says, if therefore all creatures will live at one time and the creation will sustain them, it might even now be able to support all of them present at one time. So, you know, Ezra's trying to ask the right questions. He's like, I I don't get it. You're saying at the end, we're all going to live, you know, eternal lives. But how about right now? How come we can't do it right now? So... Um, God answers Ezra and says to him, ask a woman's womb and say to it, if you bear 10 children, if you bear 10 children, why one after another? Request it, therefore, to produce 10 at one time. (laughs) And I said, of course it cannot, but only each in its own time. And he said to me, even so have I given the womb of the earth to those who from time to time are sown in it. So in other words, just like a woman can't bear all 10 kids at one time, the earth cannot bear all the people in one shot. All right? So Psalms 139, 14, 15 says, I will praise thee for I am fearfully and wonderfully made Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well, my substance was hid from thee 
when I was made in secret and curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. In other words, even so, I have given the womb of the earth to those from time to time who are sown in it. It's just like that. Verse 49, for as an infant does not bring forth, so a little baby can't give birth, and a woman who has become old does not bring forth any longer, so have I organized the world which I created. Verse 50, then I inquired and said, since thou hast now given me the opportunity, let me speak before thee. Is our mother, talking about the earth, the land, of whom thou hast told me, still young? Or is she now approaching old age? So Ezra's trying to pin it down. You're saying that only so many people can be born. And then when, just like a, a, a woman that's of older age, she doesn't bear anymore. So pretty soon, it's not going to produce as much. So he wants to know, is it, is it young? Are we still producing a lot? Or is it, you know, is it getting slower? And I think at this point, and I would be thinking this way too, I'm thinking purely numerical. You know, I mean, how many people were on the planet before and how many are now? Now I think, I don't know, you know, if we can believe, if we're not being lied to, they say we have close to 8 billion people now as opposed to ancient days, you probably didn't have even a fraction of them out. So it it seems the opposite if you're counting numbers, you know, of, of the number of bodies here. But I don't think he's talking about numbers. He's talking about quality. I honestly think that, and I'll show you why. Because he replied, it, it, verse 51 says, he replied to me, ask a woman who bears children, and she will tell you. <clears throat> Say to her, why are those whom you have born recently not like those whom you bore before, but smaller in stature? So in other words, this is why I'm, I, I'm going with quality because this is exactly what God's telling Ezra. He's not talking about numbers. He's not saying ask a woman who bears children why she had more kids when she was younger and she has less kids when she's older. It's the quality of kids. So he says ask a woman. The ones that are born before are not as small in stature as the one now. Now, does he mean stature as far as height? you know, um, or stature as far as kings of the earth stature. Because what we do know is Alexander the Great was the last king of the earth that we really had. He was the last guy who ruled the entire land as a king of the earth. Then we had the the Roman emperors come and, and do pretty well, but not quite as well as uh, Alexander the Great. And of course, before Alexander the Great was King Cyrus and Artaxerxes and of course, you know, Nebuchadnezzar, the head of gold. I mean, you have you have people, Abraham even, you have people who ruled the whole entire land and were very brilliant. Uh, King Solomon, you know, were very brilliant. Small. They were of a different stature than, I don't want to be mean, but, you know, hey, hey to be fair, different stature than Barack Obama and Donald Trump. You get my picture. Just a whole different world there in stature. (laughs) Kings of the earth stuff. So he says, why are those whom you have born recently not like those whom you bore before, but smaller in stature? And she herself will answer you. 
those born in the strength of youth are different from those born during the time of old age when the womb is failing. Okay? So let's look at that. See what we can get there. Daniel 2.37 through 45 answers this pretty well. Daniel's talking to King Nebuchadnezzar after he had that dream about the statue, the coming kingdoms of the earth, where he sees the entire future. And Daniel interprets the dream to Nebuchadnezzar and says, Thou, O king, art a king of kings, for the Lord of heaven hath given thee a kingdom, power, and strength, and glory. And wheresoever the children of men dwell, the beasts of the field and the fowls of the heaven hath been given unto your uh, hand, and hath made thee ruler over them all. This is, this is a guy in great stature. Donald Trump or Barack Obama do not rule birds or beasts of the field or fowls of heaven. Okay? This guy did. Thou art his head of gold. Barack Obama and Donald Trump are not God's heads of gold. And after thee shall arise another kingdom inferior to thee. Right? So now let's think about the womb language here. The strength in the younger womb they're greater in stature. But the older the womb gets, the, the smaller they get. So it's the same thing with the earth. People become more stupid. They, they actually de-evolve. It's the opposite of evolution. It's, we actually de-evolve. We just, we're not the same. Where are the Einsteins today? Where, where are the, uh, you know, I mean, where are the great artists? I always ask, you know, how come, how come there's no more Mozarts born today? Why isn't there anybody else like that? Uh, it's diminished. So Daniel continues, and he says, and after thee shall arise another kingdom inferior to thee. Right? Well, that's that's Medo-Persia. And then he says, and after, and another third kingdom of brass, that's even more inferior. It's, it's, it's gold, it's silver, now it's brass. So now we got Greece, and which shall bear rule over all the earth. And now, then he goes, and the fourth kingdom shall be strong, right? So it's like, well, it's strong, the womb. It's just like, it's iron. Just like iron breaks in pieces and subdues all things. And as iron that breaketh all these, shall it break in pieces and bruise? It's, it's going to be a real strong fourth kingdom. But he says, and whereas, you know, Rome, right? Rome, just strong, right? It's not as great as, as gold, it's 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 more inferior than than silver, more inferior than brass, but it's iron. It's very strong. But guess what? And here we are today. Whereas thou sawest the feet and toes, part of potter's clay, in other words, earth, and part of iron, the kingdom shall be divided. But there shall be in it of the strength of the iron, for as much as thou sawest the iron mixed with miry clay. But as the toes of the feet were part of iron and part of clay. So the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly broken. You see, it's not as strong. It's weaker. It's not as in stature. And we know why. Because they mingle their seed. Yeah, the king, the fallen angels mingle their seed and they create these angelic human hybrid pieces of crap we see on TV. And, and we're, they're idiots. They're stupid. That's why it's partly strong and partly broken. Right? That's why they're ruling the banking system and ruling all the media, but they're broke. They're broken. They're broken humanoids. 
So he says, um, I gotta find my place here. <clears throat> you saw the feet, the shall be divided, but there shall be in it the strength of the iron. Because you saw it mixed with clay, and the toes of the feet were part of iron. So partly strong, partly broke. And verse 43 in Daniel says, And whereas thou sawest iron mixed with miry clay, they shall mingle themselves with the seed of men. That's why they're weak. But they shall not cleave one to another. Just like iron doesn't mix with clay. The, the modern-day nephews can't mix. They didn't mix back then in the, in the flood. Just like in the days of Noah. They still don't mix. That's why you're watching all these celebrities and all these politicians, and you're like, in some respects, they're ruling everything, controlling everything. They got all the money, but then they're stupid in other respects. You know, they do stupid things. They're 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 partly strong and partly weak. They're they're divided. They can't mix. In verse forty four, it says, "And in the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom." which shall never be destroyed, and that kingdom shall not be left to other people. There's nothing else coming after it. But it shall break in pieces and consume all of these other kingdoms, even the head of gold, and it shall stand forever. It'll never go away. For as much as thou sawest that the stone was cut out of the mountain without hands, and that it break in pieces the iron, the brass, the clay, the silver, and the gold, the great God hath made known to the king, Nebuchadnezzar, which shall come to pass hereafter. And the dream is certain, and the interpretation thereof is sure. We're absolutely certain that's what's going to happen. Yeah. So those born in the strength of youth are different from those born during the time of old age when the womb is failing, and that's what we're seeing now. We're seeing a failing womb, and that's why the humanoid has de-evolved into something very stupid, Right? Talk to all those people who, you know, spend all their time, you know, watching, uh, you know, Game of Thrones and, you know, all that other nonsense. Uh, they're totally unaware of what's going on around them. Totally unaware of demonic infestation in their lives and in their homes. And uh, they're just, they're failing. And it continues on, verse 54 in uh, 4 Ezra says, Therefore, you... Also, should consider that you and your contemporaries, right? So Ezra and Ezra's contemporaries are smaller in stature than those who were before you, and I think that's true. You look at some of these guys that went before them, prophet-wise, and you had, you know, Elijah and Elijah. I mean, you had, ooh, some really, really heavy-duty prophets and priests. I mean, you had the Samsons and Samuels. And the, the stature is going down, even back in those days. Verse 55 says, and those who come after you will be smaller than you. As born of a creation which already is aging and passing the strength of youth. And we'll let's look at that. It says, and those who come after you will be smaller than you as born of a creation which is already aging and passing the strength of, of youth. So in Hebrews 1.10, biblically supports that. It says, And thou, Lord, in the beginning hath laid the foundation of the earth. There it goes again. There's a, there's a cosmology right there that the writer of Hebrews is talking about. If you've laid the foundation of earth. If it's a spinning ball, it, there's no foundation 
and the heavens are the works of thy hands. They shall perish, but thou remaineth, and they all shall wax old as doth a garment. Well, there you go right there. It says creation, and Ezra says creation, which already is aging and passing through the strength of youth. The writer of Hebrews one eleven says, they shall perish. They shall all grow old, just like a garment. Verse 12 says, and as a vesture shalt thou fold them up, and they shall be changed. But thou art the same, and thy years shall not fail. See what I mean? That's God's cosmology. The earth and the heavens are going to be folded up like a rag and changed. But God's always the same. He's the creator God. That's his cosmology. He's in charge of everything. But the earth is getting old. Uh, and so he answers Ezra's question where he says, are, are we, is, is the mother, is, the, is our mother, our womb, this earth, is it young? Is it still young or is it she now approaching old age? He asks that question in verse 50 and he's answered that no, it's getting older. So here we are. There you have it. And in verse 36, this is the last verse in chapter five, says, and I said, O Lord, I beseech thee, if I have found favor in thy sight, show thy servant through whom thou visit thy creation. And so then next week we'll start in verse six. And there's a whole lot of cosmology here and a lot of good stuff. It's a long, long chapter. Uh, we may or may not get through it, but um, there's a lot of good meat and potatoes in uh, chapter six coming up. So that's it. Uh, hour and 16 minutes on the show. And I think we, we covered chapter five. So, Good night, and I encourage everybody to take heed of the times we live in and take heed of of everything that goes on around you. All right, and remember your creator. You still can.
was a thrill You knew tomorrow would be better still Things have changed, you're much older now If you're unhappy and you don't know how Why don't you look in?